welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the new Cannon Fodder to talk about the new Glass Cannon Podcast. My name is Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy Rats the Taz the Valley. <laughs> we have a special guest with us today for the episode 100 Cannon Fodder, Mr. Matthew Cabanacasa. Hello. We have Head to have house. you here because you do not appear in part one of episode 100. <laughs> We yeah. have to balance out our Matthew time. Was that planned? <laughs> I was all like, in my notes. I was just sitting there drinking champagne, being like, couldn't fucking adjust my call time? Jesus Christ. <laughs> he could have been in his trailer, having snacks. <laughs> well, a lot of snacks. Matthew, thank you so much for popping by and stopping in to record Cannon Fodder for episode 100. This is uh, weeks and weeks in a row here of having no idea where to start for Cannon Fodder. I know. I was just like stopping myself from saying, where do we begin? Because we always say that, but like... Oh, hell do you begin <laughs> yeah for this one i think i want to first i want to talk about behind the scenes stuff that's the first thing okay. actually that i want to talk about because this came out of nowhere it was just episode 99 business as usual and then a completely a complete just left turn to everything we've ever done before for the podcast i want to talk about how that came to be then we'll talk about the episode itself and the characters, really, is what I want my main focus to be. And then in listener mail, we're going to talk about homebrew a little bit and direct some questions maybe to uh, homebrewing questions that might also relate to this little homebrew one-off, essentially, that you had. Obviously, some set pieces from the AP, but clearly a homebrew idea from beginning to end because we're we're working in a prequel environment, which is not something that's usually written into into the APs, at least none that I've ever played. Matthew? Um, no comment. <laughs> smart boy. Smart boy. Uh, all right. Let's start with behind the scenes. Troy, I'm going to go to you first because I just want to know truly, some of this I do know, some of it I really don't. Where did this start, this idea? When did it start brewing and how did you put it together. And I will just say that I'm asking that question for my part. I did not know any of these characters that these guys were doing. When we were recording live, I didn't even know that this was happening until after we had finished recording 99. Yeah. I found out that I was going to be playing Lork in the what had happened since then thing. So tell me how you put it all together and how you kept us uh, in the dark. Yeah. Well, right when we finished recording 99, as we were packing up the equipment, I that's when I sprung the idea on you guys. And I said, we're going to do a flashback episode. Episode 100 is going to be a full flashback that tells the story of how Lork went from leaving from Splitsville to ending up footless in that cage. So I told that amongst you guys. So and these guys had a week to make these characters? No, I think I emailed... So well. maybe I would say a month and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer, I emailed Matthew, Grant, and Skid all individually with emails that made it seem like, I need you to do me this favor. Don't tell the other guys. Matthew, don't tell anyone skid don't tell anyone so like it was only for them i just want you to roll up another character i said this might be a character that just shows up once is like an npc might be someone i just bring on and kill might be someone that uh you know we just i, I don't want to tell you too much about it i don't want you to worry too much about backstory or anything i just need you to roll up a seventh level character give me i think what did i say to you matthew give me three different character concepts like race and class pretty much race and class and like a sentence a about sentence them. or two of an idea of what you were thinking about so Grant, Matthew, and Skid, unbeknownst to each other, unless they talk behind uh, my back, uh, all create get, sent me three concepts. And I actually think Grant sent me like nine. I was like, Grant, I said three concepts. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> and I picked one for each of them uh, to go off and make. And then I said, all now, right. Now, did you say anything about setting? Did you say nope. they would appear in Minderhall's Valley or I said in the absolutely Mines, nothing. Or? I mean, I kept it as, as vague as possible. I just wanted them to mechanically create the uh, concept that we that they that I chose out of the three that they sent me. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and then it might have been even more than a month and a half ago. I was trying to find the original email I sent these guys, but anyways, we did a couple more recordings. And at this point, you had sent me nothing. I had sent you nothing. I hadn't even had a conversation with you yet about like, what do you think Lork's been up to? That came though. That came. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a few weeks after I started getting in touch with these guys. But then we recorded a few more sessions, and I started emailing them to say. 
Um, let me see the PDFs of these character sheets and start bringing them to sessions. You know, I don't know. I, I, I want to keep it as vague as possible. It's like, we may not, we honestly may never use these, but can you just bring them and have them in case I feel like it's time to use them? Did you were like, be prepared. You should be prepared to, to play this character right. from this point on. Because I didn't want them. Well, what point was that? Was that episode 98? Episode uh, 97? Probably 96, 97. It was somewhere in there. Yeah. Because okay. I, I, I was hoping that this would happen, that, the, that we would be able to go from 99 right to this 100. And that's one of the main reasons 99 was so long as it was. I just wanted to set up, if I could, this 100. If you guys had went any other direction, it was actually going to be pretty hard for 100 to be this. But I knew that I wanted this to happen at some point. I just lucked out that I was able to kind of coax you guys and you made the decisions you could to get to 100 to get to that arbitrary <laughs> achievement of episode 100 <laughs> <laughs> but um i just wanted to make I, the reason i made it seem so kind of casual and nonchalant but like also make sure you have those characters because i didn't want them start uh figuring out what this might be like oh maybe we're gonna do this i, I was probably overthinking it because no one including any of the fans yeah without any context and being told that only you were doing it I don't think they'd be like it's probably for the prequel of Lork's story right you know (laughs) I think that's a bit of a stretch yeah I always assume people that are are a lot more uh, observant than they are yeah you want a little behind the scenes on Troy (laughs) editing Matthew and I's teases oh my god he always thinks that every single thing that we put in is giving away the entire episode and in all of its details he's like they're gonna know that he's the one who said that that that, you know they're gonna know that I crit I crit that I crit sir will because everyone says oh <laughs> right. it's like troy it's completely out of context i'm what they call a micromanager <laughs> who are you <laughs> nah yeah. um actually we'll get more into that later with the uh homebrew stuff as a gm uh, micromanaging can be a little bit uh, of, oh, a, of a bad thing so very bad, something yeah. to put a pin in let's talk about that later but anyway, so I, I said, create these characters, bring them. I didn't want them overthinking it too much, but I wanted to have them prepared. But it wasn't until we finished 99 that I told all of them that like, hey, I told Matthew, Skid, and Grant to do the same thing that I told. All right, like, hey, Grant, I told Matthew and Skid to do the same thing I told you. Hey, Skid, I told Matthew, Grant, and that I told you, Lork, that we were going to tell this story and that along the way you were going to meet new companions. And that's how it came about. And then so maybe not... 96, 97-ish areas when I started just talking to you. I think we were out at a bar having a couple of beers and I said, what do you think, what do you think Lork's been up to? Just very casually with yeah. you. Because I wanted you to be surprised by that moment of finding Lork feetless. Footless. Footless. Footloose and fancy free. And then meanwhile, I was crafting this story. Right. And how did what I say fit into what you crafted? How much of Lork's story had you already crafted? Or did you leave it a complete blank slate and then just feet cut off? And that's all you knew for sure. (laughs) Well, yeah, I started putting these pieces together. I think I said uh, on last week's Cannon Fodder 30 episodes ago, 25 episodes ago, that I was going to have Lork end up there. And then it was a few weeks after that that I started thinking about doing this with other characters that we would bring into the story. Um, so then it, it was all shaping up. I mean, when I say that the story was not completely fully shaped until I started recording episode 100 with you guys, that's that's how it is. And well, again, that's how it should be. That's how it should be, yeah. Um, but what I was most interested about with you, Joe, because once I told you this was going to be happening you were all over me like i gotta know i gotta know what we're doing we're doing and i was very um vague with you as well because all i was really interested with you was why did lork leave like we obviously it had something to do with the curse but i really wanted to dig into the why and that's all i really wanted to work with you i then worked with matthew and skid and grant separately on fleshing out their story in a way that i know i could connect to lork's journey and this was after the point at which they knew this was going to be for lork's journey now this character yeah in one week we yeah that was a week in my life Yeah. So, Matthew, uh, talk about that experience. What was the evolution of that uh, of that character? Well, it was interesting because this, this is the first time I really ever created a character that didn't have a backstory. Like, I was like, oh, this is weird. I have to choose. Because usually, like, I try to choose feats and traits and even the equipment because based on right. who the person is. Right. In this case, I was just doing it in a vacuum. I'm like, oh, that might be fun or that might be cool to, like, that's not an object I see every day. Or, like, wouldn't it be cool if this guy had this skill uh, or this girl? Uh, and... Then I got a series of emails, texts, 
replies to the email, new emails, forwards from Troy. And I mean, we went through what, like five deities and, and backstories oh, yeah. in the like two days before the recording? Yeah. I mean, which is so funny if we saw all the text between Matthew and I because we went all over the place. Um, and, you know, I, obviously I don't want to say too much because these characters have, you know, lives and stories that are very connected to the overall uh, plot that I have in my head. And uh, what I just really wanted to do was connect Matthew's character because he was really fascinated with this idea of her coming from a whole other land and like so how do you connect this Osirian to what's going on in the holds of Belkson and more importantly to to Lork's story and so that little thread of uh, the idea that Pudir was an Osirian perhaps uh, was the one connection and I feel like I felt like that was enough to like let imaginations run wild. And it, you, when you heard that, you didn't know that. No, you know, you were the one that told me that Pudir he was, looked like he was Osirian. All this other stuff. You sent me these ideas as well. I took some of those, and then I told Matthew certain things. And so when you heard that this character was Osirian as we were recording, I could see the wheels turning. And that's when you were like, Pudir was that. And then you said something and you, uh, Matthew, were like, and she just files away that information. So just watching that all unfold, uh, it was pretty amazing to see Well, it, it makes it feel like there's a future there for that character, that character's involvement in the overall story. Yeah, I mean, I just... Those I, little connections are what, they go a long way. Yeah, I mean, I was very interested from the beginning in doing something that I've never seen done in a game before. Um, Obviously, this podcast is entertainment first, game second, so I wanted to do something really different. And we've never done that. No. We've never done a prequel of any kind. We've done dream sequences, you know, and I've seen some APs deal with dream sequences. Have we done dream sequences that we've played? No, probably not. Yeah, I don't... I don't think so. You know what? Maybe back in the day in our uh, the homebrew that you and I played in with Skid, I think there were some dream sequences there, but none where we knew the end of the, the mini arc, and we mean, had to role play to get there. You know, right? Except for the dream sequence where I had to improv with Skid for fifteen minutes. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Did right. you roll any checks during that dream? I can't remember. Well, the, don't pee yourself. Don't pee yourself. Check. <laughs> Yeah, for anybody that was at GCP Live, they saw what it what it's like, the pleasure of role-playing directly with Skip. <laughs> I just kept getting trounced. It's work. It is work <laughs> trying to keep up. It's fun. Um, but, you know, and, and we can talk about this more because I think it's going to connect to listener mail, but this was a fascinating, unique experience in that we knew at least one element of the story. We knew that Lork was going to leave and end up there. And, like, I could plan uh, as much as I wanted uh, on basically how that would happen, but we're using dice. We were having, we had two encounters. You know what I mean? There's all this other stuff, all these other characters, their choices. I had no idea that Faraza would escape as an eagle. That was not, none of that was planned. Like none of the stuff was planned. And so I, as a GM, had to uh, be ready to get there because I I didn't want to force anything. Like I knew we had to remove sure. your feet and get you in that cell, but I, I sure, wanted and- to let you guys get there on your own yeah when we started the session you started it off and i just thought this was fantastic because i don't like role-playing sessions where you know what's going to happen where you know the end because not because it's lame or stupid but because it's hard to perform correctly when you have to rely on dice but you also have to get to a certain exact point Mm -hmm. and as a player i mean and so i was kind of nervous about it as we were setting up. And then you said something that I was like, oh, now I feel really good about this, which is you told all the other guys they were going to be able to decide during the game if they wanted to run from combat or flee, they could. If they wanted to challenge an enemy that was way out of their league and just die fighting, they could. If they wanted to let themselves get captured and maybe still be in the story, they could. And it would all work with the overall arc. The only thing that had to happen is Lork had to live through the session. We knew that. But other than that, everything else was up in the air. Right. And you even to the point where you forgot about Barry Connick Jr. Forgot about. Well, like he, you told him to stay and he was captured and you don't know what happened to him. Right. No, yeah. That wasn't planned either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, won, I, just, I, I didn't want to tell you guys too much, but I basically said when shit goes down, you'll know. You can surrender. You can die. 
or you can escape. Right, and I think that's where I took my little bit of license, where you said what the other guys could do with their characters, and I had no choice about what happens to Lork eventually in the story. You didn't mention Barry Connick Jr. at all. Mm-mm. So there was an element there that I could control, where I was like, if I just say, get away or stay or stay behind here, maybe he'll survive, which I really wanted. So I don't know if he did, but we'll, we'll have to see. But yeah. I felt like I had a little control over that. I know what happened to Barry. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> you want to talk about it on Cannon Fodder? No, not this Cannon Fodder. Matthew, uh, in the back? My, after 99 came out, my brother-in-law sent me a frantic text ask, asking if, uh, if Barry was the dire bear rug. I which, saw that on Reddit as well. That was a pretty, uh, pretty heavy, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Rumor, I guess you could say. Yeah. yeah very, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to the actual episode itself. We open up with a sequence, Troy, written by you, I imagine. I mean, I, I, it sounded like you weren't improving this. No, you, you I had actually planned this was an adaptation from a Tennessee Williams play. <laughs> 27 wagons full of cotton. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, this is one thing that uh, you, you and I, Joe, talked about because when, when we decided we were going to do this, like, I didn't want. You were very adamant, like you think you were like you should just go into it. Don't give any hints. Like we're going to do something different this week. Just go into it. And so when I, when I decided that that's what I wanted to do, I really wanted to hit home the idea of the past and getting to see Ingrid again. I mean, that's just it crushed me. It crushed me as I was writing it. Like just oh, Ingrid All the weird love scenes you and Grant could have role played. I mean, imagine how do you roll checks for that copulation? <laughs> Acrobatics check. Acrobatics check. It's a sleight of hand on hooker bra. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think that there's an element to that of not saying what you're going to do that I really liked just because, to me, there's been a lot of things in the style of how you do the show that I tend to connect to, and a lot of that I think comes from and we've talked about this on Kind of Fodder before, is inspiration from shows like Breaking Bad mm-hmm. that do kind of bold and different things with each episode where you don't know really what to expect. And sometimes it'll start and you'll be like, what is this? And why are they not explaining to me what I'm seeing? Because it is not connected to what was the end of the last episode. And then it take, might take you a couple minutes, but then you're like, I get it. All right. I know what you guys are doing. You know? And yeah. that, that was kind of the idea, I think, behind it. I, I hope that it worked for people because it certainly worked for me. It felt seamless. You said you wanted to open with a cinematic. Yeah. To me, it just felt like it just kept being a cinematic. But yeah. where we just started entering in and role-playing. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there were two encounters and there was uh, a lot of dice rolling and whatnot. But to me, it was it really unfolded like a, a movie and... That's what I love. And I mean, I'm heavily influenced by Lost and Breaking Bad and all those shows that just open with these scenes where you can't quite figure it out. And then you see, oh, that's what's happening. And what I wanted people to be able to do is go back and listen to 71 and then queue up 100 and have that just be one continuous story. If there was a way to to have cannon fodder just tell someone that hasn't listened to 100 yet but is listening to the cannon fodder to 100, which sounds really, really silly. To go back and listen to 71 before you listen to it. But we couldn't tell people that no, before no. the episode dropped. It would give too much away. So we had to kind of take it as it comes. So, Matthew, let me ask you, because for that first hour when we were going from the cinematic into Lork's, the story of Lork leaving True Now that was not told before, that was kind of, we were focusing on, we, we actually just moved past that time yeah. in the in the in actual episode 71. I mean, you were just sitting there listening, drinking champagne. What were your thoughts? <laughs> what did you think about everything that went down? Uh, I was thinking champagne for my real friends and real pain for my champagne. <laughs> no, um, I mean, it was. I was curious, most of all, I think, to see, I, 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 and that actually got confirmed very early, if there was a specific goal in Lork's mind when he left or if he was just running. Like a coward, <laughs> and we talked about that a lot. I mean, that's you know, that's the writer and Matthew uh, hitting the nail on the head. Like, we had to know why there has been. I don't think there's been a more hotly debated topic amongst our listeners uh, or contested. Rather, is like people are either pro Lork's decision or anti Lork's decision. Maybe even more people anti coward deserter. Totally. And and it's not like I wanted to make him a super sympathetic character, but I just wanted to show why. 
and I wanted it to really be more than just uh, you know uh, I got I got to deal with this curse. And yeah, like and I, like a general. Oh, I've got to go on this quest to find myself. Yeah, sure. But right. also, but like that, there was the specific goal. Of, I'm going to go speak to this qua, and you know, see what if there is something specific I can do to remove this curse. That was I think that I, that that was that, that was what I was I was paying attention to. Hmm. So uh, we bring Katrezra back into the story. I don't know how many people are going to clearly remember him. I certainly did. Matthew, did did you know exactly who that was? Remember him very clearly? Of course. Those yeah. Weeping. I would. I, you know, I would know those weeping sores anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that he was a very memorable character, though it didn't occur to me until you brought him in and started that speech that he really did have such a small part in this whole story. Mm-hmm. But he had a lot of impact to me. I, mean, I definitely remembered him because he that sort of intense oracle thing, blind and all the, the sores and the ability to see the future and his relationship with Roderick. I had actually forgotten until you started the speech that he was working with Roderick and trying to tell him to not pursue this line of investigation that eventually led to his death. Bringing back that stuff from the really early episodes, episode let alone episode seventy-one, five he yeah. appears. I mean, I think you hear about him he, as for a you while guys are doing was... the investigation, but it he... took you five episodes. Sixth Sense Motive, episode five, is when you talk to him, and that's where the case breaks wide open. He gives you his Roderick's journal because you find he was being hidden by Sarah Morninghawk, right? And that's how we found out to go to the plague house. Right, ninety-five and... episodes later, he's back. <laughs> I remember for a while. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> They'll never die. Um, I, for a while, I remember he was like the thing we kept coming back to in the mystery was like oh well there's like the most suspicious thing aside from the murder seems to be like this missing oracle like what happened to him right and and he felt guilt that's why he went into hiding he knew that he would be somehow linked to it I think and he felt horrible about it so imagine the whole time that you're fighting the battle of true now the whole time that you go to Red Lake Fort and do all that he has just been wallowing in guilt blaming himself in a way for Roderick's death and so if he can play a part in you know making it worth something by finding redemption for Lork you know I think it it would mean something to him so it was cool to just just cool to get back in the skin of an old character like that yeah yeah especially a real healthy skin real healthy weeping not painful skin. skin like that well he doesn't have to look at himself in the mirror so right (laughs) this is true this is true so then we start the journey and i was obviously very excited to get out and now be under out from under the confines of what i had to prepare at all i knew that i had to come up with some reason for lork leaving and i had done a lot of thinking on that done the work on that other than that it was up to everybody else to work their characters so then my work was over and i could just have fun so i kicked back and I think who's who am I going to run into first? No idea. It's going to be Grant, and of course, how could you ever foresee this character that he creates? How could I just Grant? My God, I just was sitting there smiling ear to ear, listening this character come to life. You know, when you have Matthew and Skid coming up, you have really interesting and and complex, deep characters coming. And so for Grant to start it out, I was like, oh, okay, and it's only going to get better from here. And then he started, and I was like, if it only gets better from here, this is going to be the greatest hour of Glass Cannon (laughs) podcast we have ever put on, which, of course, became the four hours. We'll talk about that afterwards as well. But but, uh, I want to focus on him for a second because what an amazing job. I mean, just watching him live, it it makes me wish sometimes that we had the ability to really put together video shoots, like proper video shoots for these, because he embodied that character completely. He really did. I thought you were going to say... I wish we had the ability to kill Baron so Grant could create the characters. <laughs> well, you, you know what's funny? I, I I probably thought of this but never really voiced it to myself. Every single other person in the cast has had a chance to create a new character. Like, obviously, you've all had a chance to play Umlo, but Grant's been Baron, so, I mean, he must have just been, like, so excited to do something else. And, man, did he bring this character to life. It was incredible. Just so strange and weird. And I really appreciated it because I think a lot of people don't give enough credit to how you must play characters like druids, sorcerers, wizards somewhat. I mean, I think Skid knocked the wizard thing out of the park, obviously, in this episode. But the idea of someone who is so innately, strangely different from 
anyone else in the world. To role play them properly is really difficult. And that's why I, a lot of times, I'll be honest, I fall back on simpler characters. I play a ranger with no magic because I can get into that skin a little bit more. Grant did such a perfect job of making you feel very uneasy and like he could snap at any moment. He was playing a blood rager. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought that he really hit the nail on the head with how he played it. And it was very important for me as I was deciding the order in which you would meet these people. I wanted you to meet another half orc first. And because- a Gorham follower. And a Gorham follow. I mean, that was actually, I, I didn't tell Grant follow Gorham. He, I think it was the day before we recorded, I, the, a question of uh, deities came up and he's like, oh, I want to be able to talk about Gorham with him as well if we get a chance. And I was like, oh, great. I didn't even ask you your deity. So you're a Gorham follower as well. So then my wheels started turning. But I just wanted, where, where the half orc part of, of Lork, it's a really important part of your story, the never quite belonging, sure, always yeah. sort of in limbo. I wanted you to see the other side of, of a way Lork could have been if you were raised by an orc tribe right yeah and that's yeah that's a good point and i I hadn't really thought about that at the time because he did seem so urbane in a way he had a an intelligence to him that was maybe masquerade maybe it was charisma masquerading as intelligence Mm -hmm. but it was he was he seemed very worldly to lork in an odd way even though he came from what was it deep uh, deep gate deep gate yeah so but the gorum thing and i can i'm going to speak for grant here i don't normally like to do that but i'm pretty confident of this and we didn't discuss this at all mm. but i think that he wanted to talk about gorum with lork because i think he as a player wanted to lay into lork a little bit about gorum because i know grant as a player had another character in another campaign that was a gorum follower and he doesn't think i get it or lork gets it and he's not wrong like there are Gorm's a very complicated deity and he as a player has spent a lot of time reading up on him so Grant he, really likes the deities he, he, yeah he knows a lot about them so he really challenged Lork on that in character and I thought it was great yeah the whole was, idea it was they, hard it was hard to come up against as another as a player to be challenged about how you think of your deity yeah like Gorm didn't choose you <laughs> you're you're no one Right, you know, Gorm lives in your blade. It lives right. in the. He, he's the god of battle. I mean, it was just. It was really, really right. great. And saying that Gorm wouldn't care if I killed an innocent person who hadn't provoked me or didn't want to fight back or whatever. You know, he was just like that. Is just silly. <laughs> you know, and I, I love it's that great. those yeah. debates, those challenges in character in game are great. And I just, I just want to reinforce to everybody that it didn't. We didn't get there overnight. Like it takes a long time before you can be able to challenge each other's characters without turning it into an actual fight between players. Right. You know, you have to remember that that kind of debate at the table between your characters is a good thing, and you want to make sure that you encourage that with your other players. Without, don't try to stifle people by getting angry if you're called out for something. Right. Like realize that they have a point for what they're saying, and maybe. That friction within the characters, which isn't deadly friction, but just theological friction, can mm. be really interesting. Yeah, and just because you built the character to be a killing machine doesn't mean they can't have conflict. There can't be conflict where they don't want to, like, you know, knock, throw the table upside down and, and, and strangle you. You, know, well, you can still have conflict that's not deadly. Totally, yeah, no, 100%. So, yeah, I think that there's, uh, I just, I really liked the character, and I was honestly really really sad that he died yeah you know it was but what like, a way to go what a way yeah. to go what a way to go it was impressive to say the least and grant could not have taken it better he all went the work off the air put grant in. was like i'm gonna miss that guy but that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know yeah again uh, another credit to grant for just letting that guy go he was yeah flash in the pan that grant had created and who was awesome but had to just had to go. And you did not know that that was going to happen from the beginning. You're telling us. No, I, I had thoughts about it. I really wanted there to be not just a, a death for death's sake, a casualty just to, oh, it's episode 100, got to kill somebody. I just liked the idea of um, Lork seeing this other side of himself um, and, and maybe a, a possible future he could have had and, and, and have that death resonate with Lork. But as the, as the session started to unfold, I started to fall in love with this Orphis character. <laughs> and I start, I was questioning the whole time if I was really going to go through with something. And that's why I wanted to have Orthash challenge him and see how Orphis would react. And then it just made it easy to, to yeah. do, make the decision. Yeah. I was going to say you were thinking about it and having your doubts, 
But then when we polished off the third bottle of champagne, right, you were like, like, come I'm on. Killing them. <laughs> I almost killed poor, um, we haven't started talking about it yet. Pembroke. Pembroke almost died. And I, you could argue that it was uh, Faraz's fault. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, let's get, let's get into argue. let's get into Pembroke the potent. <laughs> yeah, let, let's, First, let's he was Pembroke it. the persistent. <laughs> then Pembroke then the potent. Pembroke the potent. And then Professor Pembroke. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, we reached out to Skid and Grant to get here as well, and they couldn't make it for the Canifater because I would have liked to talk Nobody more about more that. But you know, these character, but this character at least uh, for right now, as far as we know, is not dead. So there is maybe a chance that we can see him again and learn more from Skid about how he came to be and who he really is and everything. But I just loved it right from the beginning. The image of him in the dusk, you know, uh, in the fading light, talking to himself in the middle of the woods around this old stone, this old carved stone. I think that's what it was. It was just... I was just drawn in. I didn't want to stop him. Yeah. I wanted him to just keep going, talking to himself. When he gets going, you just have to just have to let it happen. He'll let you know when he's done. You yes. know what I mean? It, and when I'm editing that episode, I'm like, great. I can relax for a little while. It's Skid <laughs> doing improv. But it's funny, whereas Grant sent me nine concepts and Matthew sent me three. He followed directions. I think Skid only sent me two. But give you a little backstory. When we did the GCP retreat, what did we call that? Was it just GCP retreat? Yeah, at GCP the retreat. Um, I think it was the second night. We were all... It was the last night. It was the last night. We were all shit-canned as usual. Not Matthew. Matthew was <laughs> very responsible he was up at five every morning uh jogging jogging and writing or being stepped on by troy or being stepped on by this troy you speak of um (laughs) and joe you did a homebrew for us that we never got to finish and skid played a wizard in that (laughs) and i mean i think we only played for like an hour and a half before matthew had to go to bed and we we stopped and i remember just laughing so much at this character so skid sent me i think two concepts might have sent me three and one was human wizard and i was just like i do that do that because i know it's going to be different from what we did uh, at the gcp retreat but i know it's going to be in that same ballpark and i just thought it would be fascinating for the show yeah, it was it was just terrific, and it is what I always wanted to play as a wizard. You always imagine a wizard being older. It's hard to right. the idea of playing like a nineteen year old level one up and coming wizard. It's so hard to really wrap your head around the wizarding part of that. But when you really can embody a seventh level wizard as an old man, it makes so much sense. Yeah. It's so easy to get really sucked into the character. Matthew, did you uh, expect him to play a character of this nature? Did you think that he would be a caster, uh, more of a melee character? Did you expect anything? Or um, I had a feeling we might see that wizard again after the, after the retreat because he was mm. just so much fun um, in whatever form. <laughs> I also was excited to see Skid play a caster because Skid knows, Skid knows the spells, the spell list right. really well, and right, he right. can always use them in interesting ways. I, had, I really had no idea, though, because I knew I was playing a caster, I had no idea, and I knew you, Lork, would be Lork. So I mean, it, there was a, we <laughs> could see another caster, or we could have seen not not one at all. Also, and one of my, I think my other two concepts I sent you were both. They weren't fighters, but they were melee guys. Yeah, they were mainly melee. And that was another thing I was considering about trying to balance the party, but also trying. I was more interested in the best concepts, and you can say I mean it was three casters and a Lork. <laughs> Obviously, the blood rage was barbarian, trouble, but... sorcerer, and that was enough for me to. The, the fact that Grant went hybrid, I was like, okay, cool. This is now, a, to me, a balanced, fun party. Plus, we had Barry Connick Jr. Oh, wait. <laughs> Barry Stay. Stay. Barry When's stay. the last Barry time we heard Barry Stay? Barry Stay. Episode 69, probably. <laughs> um, but I mean, just listen to that character come to life. I just, I, I love it. I love when Skid just skids yeah and i i I look forward to more interesting things from that character so i want to move on from it for now because i think we can we can talk more about him later and we have matthew here to discuss uh what's her name again (laughs) fariz feraza 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 i'll say uh who is uh what does she appear as when we first see her just a kind of a a human woman dusky skinned Dusky skin, of course, of course. <laughs> Human female? Human female, and she was um, wearing a headscarf. So a headscarf, you, yeah. and she was, and we couldn't see her hair uh, at all. Right. And she was surrounded by these red caps. <laughs> oh, man. We'll get to that in a second. And, uh, and what was she doing there? Before the red caps set upon yeah, her? Yeah, how did she come to be surrounded by these red caps? Well, she was, I mean, she had been journeying for months, because she landed at Corvosa, which is a tip of the hat and a... Not a wag of the finger, just a tip of the hat to our curse campaign. 
Yes, she no, I appreciate that. She landed there and then had been making her way to Belkson for months. So she had been flying there, flying there, just in various ways, wild shaping there to, to cover the journey alone. And then she just set up for the night after a day of you know trekking. She was finally in Belkson. So she was you know making her way through trying to just get to a point where she could be in contact with other beings, other people. And then she was just sitting there getting ready to go to bed. And there were the red caps. <sighs> and then this attack they out of nowhere. Know. And did you feel it seemed as we fast forward the story a little bit? It seemed like you were okay with letting some of the characters go for you know for your own mission. Uh, what was going through your head at that time? Were you like, look, I really have to embody this character and realize that she's not going to risk her life for someone else? Uh, was that it, or was it more complicated than that? You mean when when we got captured and she escaped? Yeah, exactly. Well, there was a time when he didn't. You say like, if anybody tries to run or leaves or whatever, like I will cut off his head to Lork or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of threats and yeah. I mean, and, right. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, uh, Cormac dead gut was going to coup de gras you. Right. Coup de right, gras. right. Oh, cause Lork was unconscious. Right. You could have flown away and, right then and there too, but you would have very well be, uh, decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, she's, she's there for a higher purpose. She's in service of this prophecy she thinks she knows what it means, as far as she knows, and I mean, she. I, I I went back and forth a lot about whether to allow myself to get captured in Shinnerman's Fortune. I mean, I, she could have just as easily escaped right there. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I have. I play a druid in our Jade Region campaign, and I always think, well, the one thing that's never going to happen to me is getting captured. Because as a druid, you feel like you can always just fly away. You know, had you had you escaped there, I, I couldn't have had Cormug give a veiled threat, so I might have cut off your feet right then and there. Hmm. Had you escaped, you know, I had that option. Yeah. If you flew, because I, you know, again, you plan these things out. This is very much homebrewed, but I, I, I forgot that. Like you guys are very powerful. Like chains aren't going to hold you. At right. The beginning of fight, like everybody stop fighting. This guy's going to get it. You guys could just take off if you wanted to. You're very powerful. Right. Um, so it was cool to see it play out the way it did. And I figured, you know, rab- she did not that she had an immense amount of loyalty to these to these guys, but she had some and. You know, she'd been there. She knew there was something going on that was really bad going on around here. And she knew it had to do with giants. And she maybe she'd encountered giants along the way. So I figured, you know, she knows she can escape if she needs to. Like, there's not much they can do to stop her from escaping when they're outside in the wilderness. I mean, she's a druid. Um, so I was like, maybe she'd say, okay, like, let me stay with them for a little while. Sure, and see you what can, I can learn. quote unquote, capture me. Right. Knowing that you can escape whenever you want. Right, and so let's see where. Like, so long as they're not going to kill us outright, let's see where we're going. Hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. But then, and then That's we had, the, and then you know, Lork had this plan to escape, and she was like, "Great, I, I've been planning that for days. Like, <laughs> I've been going over this for days." But then, Grant, was it Grant who rolled the stealth check that that, that failed? I yeah. believe it was. Yeah, yep. yeah. But uh, go back to the red cap encounter. Uh, that was um, an actual encounter from the book, like a uh, random encounter in Minderhall's Valley. Oh. Um, so I wanted to give you guys something cool, but the whole point of that encounter was I wanted the, these new characters, we've now been introduced to them, well, with the exception of uh, Feraza, to their personalities. This is where I wanted you to show off. This is like that moment in the Avengers movie when they all get together and you see what their superpowers are and how they work together. Um, but the red, ca- red Cops are fucking dangerous. Yeah. And I was only using one of their attacks. They got times four crits. I think I rolled six 20s in that adventure. It's incredible. So I did something different. Uh, sometimes, especially lately, where you guys have Umlo and everybody's just... Uh, you know, borderline OP in the other uh, part of the adventure. I've been adding the advanced template. I actually um, nerfed the red caps a little bit and had them come in with lower hit points to begin with because these guys had DR10 cold iron. They had fast healing three. I, I wanted you to just as if you know, if Lork had a battle the day after that red cap fight, you might not be at a hundred hit points. So I thought it'd be right. fun if some of them maybe got into a scuffle the day before and came in with, instead of whatever it was, 50, 60 hit points, came in at 30, 40 hit points. And so I, I mix yeah. it up like that, and it, it allowed you to... It just hey, DR, that's, that's devastating. They are, Six guys at DR, They 10? are brutal. I think that ended up being like a CR 11 encounter <laughs> for seven, you know, seventh level characters. But what I was most interested in is, let me see these people 
show off their powers. I would have killed someone happily. You know, I, I didn't really want it to happen. Who are you? Well, I guess not happily then. I, I, I would have been really remiss if we had to lose somebody there, but I just wanted the threat to be real and I wanted you guys to have to work together. It was real. It was very real. Those the, When you were rolling those 20s against, a, is it a scythe? Is that what it was? Yeah, I, I don't think I, I confirmed one crit. That's scary, man. Yeah. I yeah. think you confirmed two crits, didn't you? Did I? I thought you did. I don't know. I mean, max damage is 18. So an unconfirmed crit would be 18, but a times four? I mean, it's just... Oh, I think I did roll two. I can't remember. One yeah, of them no, was like you a pulled a card damage. and it was normal damage. I think you did. Well, you know what? I pulled a card. I realized this. They, they were named characters, although they were later. Razzmatazz. But uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have pulled that crit card. It should have just been Let's uh, talk damage. about <laughs> oh man, Matthew uh, loves this spell. Charm Monster is the most fun. And it, I, I mean, I've seen it, so it, I've guessed it in Skid's Rise of the Ruinless campaign as a character that was charmed, as a monster that was charmed, and is now part of their adventure. And is now part of their right? adventure, yeah. and I think he's no longer under, like they've he Skid you know did this whole story where he's, he's no longer he has charmed. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, well, he, he had no family, and he and he and he like had realized that he had become even though he was under the effects of the spell. Become family with these other characters. But anyway, it just—I think it just gives the GM a lot, a chance to have some fun. Oh my god! I mean, did you have fun, Troy? I had a blast. <laughs> I just love moments like that because I—I don't think I've ever planned more for a session than I did for episode 100. And you, again, you can plan as much as you want. Stuff's going to happen, and I'm just like wheels turning. Uh, and now this guy's part of the canon of this adventure. <laughs> He is. He was captured. Captured with us. Skid him a rinky do. and I'll come join it. So much fun. So much fun. I can't wait to see where we go with Rasmataz. I can't wait to see the fan art for <laughs> Yes. Agreed. Well, let me move on now to kind of getting to the third act uh, of when we start really rolling into these scenes from the glass cannon podcast from before some of the same characters we ran into. We go into this home and have to fight the Orm Vorax and a troll. And there's a baby in trouble. Umlo saves the baby. And we now know this baby is Abria. And then these characters meet the happy family before they're raided by hill giants. We believe they're hill giants because of all the boulders, but we don't really know. Then we keep moving along and into Shinneman's fortune. And we really meet the whole council. I love that. I thought that was so great. And I'll tell you what was going through my head. My wheels were turning and I was just like, I want to start doing this more often in APs because how often in an AP do you read so much cool stuff that the players never find out either because they don't ask the right questions or because they don't get the right roles. And if you can't really have them experience the depth of the world that, you know, maybe that is a way to do it. They missed stuff. Well, instead of just saying, well, I'll just tell you guys, save it, stock it up and then wait until there's a time when you can do a prequel session and have people run into these characters and get to know their stories better. And you don't even have to do that. And I, I realized this when we were um, doing book one, I guess. It's uh, whenever you come into a settlement in an adventure path, they give you like all the details of the settlement. It'll tell you usually the uh, the breakdown, the race breakdown. There's 105 humans. There's 42 dwarves. There's the population of this amount, this many halflings, this many elves. And then it tells you like notable people. Right. It tells you what the cor- corruption rate is and, and what you can get at the general store, what magical items are available. So when we did the council meeting back then, I just I looked at all those characters, and one of them, written in the AP, is Kesson Plum. And so really? when Gormley, uh, or when Matthew said, I think she like had a relationship with someone from the past, I just said, okay, got it. And so I used Kesson Plum to create this uh, life story. So likewise, when I saw this, it had Taram Shinnerman, it had Stria Crum, and da da da. And so I just—I was so lucky that I was able to do something like this, where you got to meet them. Yeah, I, I, to me, it just enveloped us in the world so much more. The giant attack felt much more real now than it yeah. did before. I wonder if that's an interesting idea for GMs to do to bring to even sink your players deeper into the AP. By having different characters experience something that your main characters just saw as the aftermath. Well, you know, this is the thing that uh, I think cannot be stressed enough to people that are afraid of doing adventure paths because they think oh, it's just going to railroad my my players don't want adventure paths because everything is already drawn out. This is where you as a GM get to really be get to express your creativity because you can take the adventure path and then do whatever the heck you want with it. Finial Smick. 
that you meet there, he is in the adventure path. If you had used Speak with Dead with the skull you found in that campfire, you speak to Finial Smick. Mm. And so I said, okay, well, I have to bring this character in. I have to have him get captured. I want to just give him a little moment where yeah. you get to like him and then see And then we see eaten. his whole arc right to the fire. And then get let's, let him get eaten. Let me ask you, Joe. <laughs> um, do you, I, what I wonder is, do you think if Will listens to episodes 100, uh, he would feel really guilty for not wanting to find the Shinman's Fortune people? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think he wanted to. I just think that he thought Didn't. that they were beyond they were beyond his reach. And he was right at the time. <laughs> pretty, pretty close to right. But Hindsight's we, we won't find out until Maybe a half orc would still have his feet. I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, Matthew. Oh, so wait a minute. We were talking about... Uh, oh, so you're saying if we didn't stay overnight in the village? Is that what you're talking about? If we didn't stay overnight another night in Shinman's Fortune... Remember, we stayed another night. You did, you did. And yeah. just said, ah, screw it. We'll stay another night. Well, we needed the hit points. And then when we got into the big argument about if we wanted to continue going northeast, like when we went to... Go, we found the Drake Cave. If we had kept going the way we'd been going, you know, the other direction, we might have been able to catch up. Who knows? Huh. Who knows? Who knows? I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> but it was cool to Try. see Taram Shitterman because he is in he is deceased in the AP. By the time you get to that prison, he is dead. And he's the one we've been hoping could do restoration. Right. Right. And so I just I was I wanted to be able to meet him. So, so you've known one hundred percent this entire time that we could not get restoration. Yes. God <laughs> From the second I said uh, he was a cleric, and that give you hope. I knew he was dead. <laughs> you are the worst person. <laughs> I so, swear. But wait, it even go, it goes back even farther, right? So uh, from the second you released the spores, and what was the other thing that? Uh, oh, gave, the yellow spores. Yes, they gave us the ability drain. That's the moment where you it would never. I didn't think that far ahead. I'm like, they'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into a little listener mail here. We are running long. It's a long cannon fodder, but we're going to get it in. It's time for listen to mail. You gotta get your brain Can I hold the baby? <laughs> Thank you, Nick Lowe, for that introduction to, to listener mail. This one comes in this week from Alex from Whitby, Ontario, Canada. Oh, classic. Matthew, your thoughts. Lovely place. Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) See, now that he's on air. Right. Alex, thank you so much for writing in with this very interesting question. And it is a a little long, so I apologize. I cannot possibly read this entire thing. But it is basically, he writes in with his idea for a homebrew. Mm -hmm. And he tells a story. It's only one page long. I I can't read it all here. But it's essentially set in a somewhat modern world, but with uh, like a world like ours now, but with elves and dwarves, gnomes, halflings, etc. And a magic that has been dead for many thousands of years and then is starting to be discovered through the adventures of this archaeologist, this young archaeologist who's digging up something called the heart of the world's magic, this place where he might be able to unlock uh, unlock this magic. And he has this idea for uh, the homebrew, and he asks us, should he do a... Should he have his players do pre-written character or pre-made characters to tell the story that he wants to tell to introduce the world and then do a session zero to create characters and then start the actual campaign or should he just start the campaign without them knowing like all of this insider knowledge about the world it's a little complicated and i the explanation of the world the reason i'm not going really far into it is because i don't think that it factors into this general question at all which is really do you how much do you need to introduce the world to your character to your players before they bring in PCs versus letting them discover it as they go obviously you got to give them some broad strokes you got to give them what the time is like what the world is like but other than that if it's going to be mainly based around pathfinder rules then they can build their characters you know just kind of take them in it i'm going to start off with you matthew just asking in general do you think that this is a a good or slash interesting way to kick off a homebrew or would you would you recommend starting the players blind 
I mean, I won't recommend anything, but I'll talk about it. <laughs> How um, bold of you. <laughs> no, I think it could be interesting. I mean, we have... I we, we This came up with our Wilhelm, and this is something that I've talked about a little bit before with you guys, is like when you're creating a homebrew or an adventure path, you're writing an adventure path, you're essentially writing a story with no protagonist. Right. Which is in, based on the way, you know, the way Western literature works. It's super hard because you, 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 you know the story, but with no, not the person making the choices that would make that story. So, I mean, I guess to answer his question, it would, just, it would really depend. I mean, is that is the stuff they would do in that little pre-session Pression Zero mini-adventure stuff that could come out in you know in conflict with, with new characters? Or, you know, are the players going to be okay with ditching those characters? I mean, I mean what... That's that's a question, right? Right, and it's interesting you bring that up because he does introduce a protagonist in his explanation, his brief explanation of the world, named Ash, this archaeologist, right. and he wants these characters to accompany him to the uh, to all the to the heart of the world's magic. And I just wonder, I, it's a little unclear to me. Perhaps I'm misreading it, but. Is the idea that this happened a long time ago and the new characters are going to know this quote unquote protagonist as a legend or because be with them? Right. Because it sounds like the way it's written that he is almost the hero of the story in a way, which I find to be something that I would not recommend to do if that's the case as a GM. Now, I don't have a lot of experience homebrewing. I've never, I mean, I've done small homebrews. And Troy, I want to kind of bring this back around to this little mini homebrew that you really just did in uh, in our last session. How much do you want to put things like protagonists? How, how advanced should the NPCs be in a homebrew where they can actually drive the story that you want to tell and the players come along versus letting the players drive everything? While obviously the latter sounds like the better thing to do, it's also extremely difficult to actually write and really pull off because you can't predict what your players are going to do. So, Troy, what did you do with this session in terms of predictability of where you needed it to be versus what the die do and what the players do? Yeah, well, it was an experiment for me as well. Like, I had a pretty good outline of the what I wanted to do in this episode. And to give you guys a little behind the scenes, my plan all along was for episode 100 to be just a jumbo episode, maybe two hours and 45 minutes, maybe three hours or something. And then as it started unfolding, I realized... No, this has to be something else, but I don't want this to be episode 100, 101, 102, 103. Probably make it a lot easier on our actual lives outside of the podcast had we done that. But as it started to unfold as just one long session, I, I, you know, we all sort of looked at each other, realized afterwards we have to release this as a three part episode 100 all at once and let people digest it as they want to. Well, to also show what us getting to actually sit and play a full four-hour session is like. Yeah. We never get to do that. And and the thing is, is I knew ultimately where I wanted it to go. I knew certain things that had to happen, obviously, but I wanted as much as possible to allow the PCs, including Lork, to tell that story with me. I mean, this was the most collaborative episode we've ever done, having these sure. individual conversations with Matthew and Grant and Skid and Joe and not letting you guys talk to each other. It was all done on purpose because I wanted us to go in with a lot of knowledge of what we were planning to do and then see those plans either full unfold or get thrown upside down based on decisions other people made. I mean, to go back to the question a little bit that just occurred to me when Troy was talking, I mean... This idea of having a, this this pre-story with this protagonist who's on this mission, Giant Slayer essentially functions that way. Except they did something really clever, which is kill the protagonist in the fir- in the first five minutes. Right. right. So you and, have to, he, but he remember Roderick had done all of the, all of that investigating and knew all of the information that we should we if we had I mean book one if we knew everything Roderick knew we could have done we we could have done gone right to the final battle essentially right, right? that's very but, true but so they just kill the protagonist and we spend most of book one like figuring out what he what he had done. Your, right. Your yeah. PCs have to be your co-protagonists. And the NPCs, no matter how important they are, in Jade Regent, one of the NPCs is arguably the most important person in the cast, if you want to call it the cast. But in our game, it, it never... It, everyone sort of understands that their 
instruments of telling that NPC's story, but there is the story is how they're getting this NPC to where he or she needs to go. I don't want to reveal anything about that. Sure, but the other thing that's important to realize in Jade is that that NPC is not introduced in the beginning of Jade. No. The whole beginning of Jade is all just what the PCs want to do for a long time. And then you uncover this NPC as a very important figure. So there is this element of we, this is our story, because we've been here from the beginning. You might be more powerful than us, but we've been here from the beginning. And that, I thought, helped to balance out the idea that there is a pre-written protagonist whose story you have to tell, and you're just a side character to that. And that's what I think you want to be careful with here, Alex. The story that you wrote for this character is really interesting. He, he is following in his father's footsteps, and his father has passed away. He's a young archaeologist, and digging up this trying to find the secrets of ancient magic in our modern world. It's really neat, but it sounds like you're writing a PC, <laughs> like a piece, yeah. you know, and you want to be careful as a GM to try to write everyone else, but the main characters. We also don't know what he had planned to do with that Ash character. I mean, that might, he might've been some sort of like high up figurehead that the PCs were, cert- were, were working for or something, right? Like, no, no. Know? I mean, at the end of the explanation, he essentially says this character is going to look for a team to help uh, him okay. do this. Yeah. And so that is, you're really giving your PCs a kind of a railroad right to what they have to do. And if they have to listen to the shots that are called by this guy, I think it takes away a little bit from their experience, the, the experience of being able to feel like you're in control of your own destiny from moment to moment. Here's what I would do, Alex, and this is just a suggestion, is take that idea of the protagonist and what they want, what they want most in life, what they need most in life and then take that idea create help your PCs create the PCs backstory so that they're all going to want that same thing for different reasons yeah different parts of that thing yeah and then you have you've taken the 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 desires of that Ash character and you've imbued elements of that in your four or five PCs and then let them tell the story of how they succeed or fail that's classic screenwriting right there you if your protagonist and your antagonist want the same thing but in very different ways and for very different reasons. Instant conflict. Yeah. But interesting conflict because they're not just like, I want this thing and the, the bad guy wants me to not do that thing. Right. But if you think of like Raiders of the Lost Ark, I mean, Indy and Bellic want the same exact thing. They have the same job and they're just, they're just they're, the tactics they're willing to engage in are just very different. Yeah. That's really good advice, but it's also how often do you see a story like Raiders of the Lost Ark? Why is it one of the greatest yeah. ever? It's very hard to pull off, especially for an, an amateur GM. But I do like this idea of take a character that, idea that you have and use that idea, but don't ever tell the players that. Just dissolve that character and split his motivations into your PCs. I think you would. I think you both would agree that if you're creating a homebrew, it's important to be more involved in the creation process of the PCs. To not say, oh, I, I wrote this whole, whole world with no one in mind, and then just let you make whatever you want. It's going to be difficult to make everyone relevant to the story. Whereas if you have some input along the way, that's going to help you tell the story a lot better, but you also have to be careful. There's a fine line there where you are then just creating the four characters. You want to make sure, I think the best way to do it is be very blunt and say, you can create any character you want. This is what I did with uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne. I said, you could create any character you want, but they have to care about Corvosa greatly. (laughs) I don't care how they come to care about it, but they can't be like, "Eh, I'm just traveling through. I don't give a shit about this city. That character is going to be lame in this story. And you can't handhold your players either and and, and try and make them be exactly what you want them to be. This is why Matthew and I had a thousand texts and emails all week is because I wanted him to play who he was interested in playing. I wanted to give some ideas of directions to go down without giving you too much. And then ultimately let you run with it once we've kind of once we're in the same ballpark because now i'm like okay you run with that and i'll take these ideas and make it work into this larger story i'm trying to tell right because you have information i don't have right and it wants like i mean if i had just been like no 
I want it back. <laughs> like, well, then it would be right. kind of boring because yeah. I wouldn't have been able to dovetail into the adventure the way you wanted to. So that's why I was like, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> sure. What do you want me to do? And then we'll go from there. <laughs> right. And just as you don't want to be too overbearing as a GM, as a player, you can't be too forceful with your GM about what you want to play. There is that element we've talked about before of trusting that your GM knows more than you know about what is going to happen or what will be relevant in the story. And I have no qualms at all about telling players, don't pick that deity because they're just not going to be relevant. And I don't have the time to write an entire arc for that deity involved in this pre-written adventure. This other deity, however, is heavily involved. And you could have a lot of fun if you went that way. So do you then forgive me for letting you take favorite enemy undead? (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) not. you know that I would never let you do something that was ultimately going to harm your character (laughs) oh yeah yeah i mean my character's fine he's in great shape (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna be fine (laughs) i'm sure lork with no magic is gonna be such a such a force for against undead with no feet oh man oh boy where do we go from here that is a question that i am not gonna ask you guys have no idea, right? <laughs> you, have, you probably have your own ideas. I'm sure oh, the fans uh, have their own I ideas. I certainly have my own guesses, and I'm not going to talk about them here because I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to guess yeah. what is going to happen, but I, I have my ideas, and I'm, and I'm going to leave them there. I'm going to thank Alex real quick before we wrap up here for writing in. Thank you for showing us this whole awesome story that you wrote. I'm, I, I'm jealous for your PCs. I think they're going to have a great time, but just be careful to not just try to tell the one story you want to tell. What you want to do is create the world you want to create, not the one story you want to tell. The players need to make the story. Mm-hmm. That's going to do it for us. Matthew, you look like you really have something to say before we get out of here. Get it off your chest, Matthew. Usually it's in German. Herzliche Glückwunsch für deinen Geburtstag. I knew it. <laughs> what was that? Happy birthday. <laughs> somebody, it must be somebody's birthday today. It's somebody. It's some GC. It's actually birthday. my birthday. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> Happy birthday, Razzmatazz! And many more. <laughs> <laughs>